Okay, good morning. We are here. I'm here. Um, who am I? I was asked to introduce myself. Um, Christy Green. I um, have spent all my life being a mom um, of Bill, Kate, and Corey, of which I'm most famous for here, Corey Pickard, and, um, and her four children, and Christian, of course. Um, so, but other than that community and my husband, Ross Green, um, I have spent most of my adult life in Bible study fellowship. And so that's where I've learned, you know, besides being in church, that's where I've learned what I've learned and um, have taught adults and children. And um, so you'll hear some child analogies every now and then um, throughout this. So um, let's get started. Okay, is everybody okay? Okay, we're in lesson um, Hebrews 10, in case you've missed. Um, I'm going to pray um, briefly, and then I'll get started. Father, um, thank you for, um, for being with us, for being Emmanuel. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells each one of us. Thank you for your faithfulness and your trustworthiness, um, and for your word that has um, allowed us to come close to you this week. Um, and I pray that as we continue this morning, that we will come even closer um, because of this community that you've given us. And I ask that you would, just as you change the water into wine, that you would change my meager words into meaningful, helpful, equipping words um, for us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, if you have missed some, remember we've been doing a lot of comparisons, um, Jesus to angels, Jesus to Moses, Jesus the great high priest of all, um, the covenants, the tabernacle. And today I feel like it's like, wow, the, the, the most important um, comparison there is, is the sacrifice um, that Jesus made. So I want us to think um, just briefly as to some repetitive task that you have in your life. What's something you do every day? Okay, um, I immediately thought of laundry. <laughs> I mean, I remember, how many loads of laundry do you think you do every week? I mean, I gave up counting. I mean, I remember thinking that when my children were teenagers, that if I could do, I, I really calculated this, if I could do two loads of laundry every day, that I would be able to manage the laundry of the five people. But then I was like, no, maybe it takes three, you know. And... And that wasn't even including the towels and the sheets and the, um, so I don't know what it would have really taken to keep up with it. But the job was never completed. It was never done. The dirty clothes just kept accumulating. I couldn't help but think of that as I read about the endless sacrifices that the priest made um, in the Old Testament. So is there some task in your life that never seems completed? that never seems finished once and for all. Maybe it's dishes, maybe it's changing diapers, maybe it's just cleaning, work reports, maybe meetings. Let's open our Bibles now to chapter 10 of Hebrews. And I wondered if he was, the author was trying to get us to feel the repetitiveness of the offerings by repeating so much in Hebrews. Um, 
I almost laughed, you know, it's like every other sentence was like um, the task was never completed. I'm going to refer to the author as the Holy Spirit because we've talked before that we don't know who the author is exactly, but all scripture is God-breathed. And so if you hear the Holy Spirit said this, that's why I'm saying that. Um, he describes this endless process of offering sacrifices, and Bev gave us a good picture of that last week. Um, but I want to, again, consider the priest, morning and evening, offering the burnt offerings for sin, those unintentional sins and the intentional ones. That sounds so foreign to us um, to do that. I thought about the word offerings versus sacrifices this week. Um, offerings sound so much more pleasant, doesn't it, um, than what they really were, sacrifices. Um, offering sounds like you're in control, right? You're giving out of your abundance, whereas a sacrifice involves some personal suffering, something that you value. Remember, as um, Bev described it last week, um, the animal sacrifices were bloody, they were messy, they were hard work, they were smelly, it was traumatic. It was killing and slaughtering of life. Everything was up close and personal and participatory. I'll never forget the smell of dissecting a live chicken in a zoology lab in college. I am so thankful for skinless, boneless chicken breast right now. It's such a sanitized way to prepare a meal. But why was this awful, bloody, messy, traumatic thing necessary? Because sin, the things that we think, we say, and we do, that's what we tell the children, right, are so horrible that a life must be given to cover the sin. It's so serious to our holy God. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, God provided the first sacrifice for sin when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Remember, he provided the garments to clothe them, which means that he had to kill an animal. He had to shed blood in order to cover the sin. This was not something that, my, that man had made up. God provided this temporary system as a shadow of a greater reality to come. So which would you rather have right now? The shadow of a husband or the actual husband? The shadow of a brownie or an actual brownie, right? It would be like clinging to a picture of your husband even when they were in your presence. When they walked in the door, you'd still be clinging to this picture. That's what the Hebrew people were tempted to do. Of course, the reality is much better than the shadow or the picture. So just as you do the laundry, you're reminded of the spaghetti sauce that spilled, the oil that splattered, the mud, the sweat from athletics, the smell of dirty socks. The sacrifices that were made each day reminded the people of their sin, their selfishness, their harsh words, their greediness, their immorality, their love for things more than God. Those sacrifices just, sacrifices just heightened the people's awareness of their sin and reminded them of their guilt. Day after day, year after year, these sins remained on their conscience. It's like they were merely swept under the rug, under the bed, that would need to be dealt with one day, 
I said bed because I remember as a child, my mom would send me and my sisters, I had two other sisters, into our room to clean it up before we could go swimming in the summer. We pushed everything under the bed and in the closet. It was a temporary fix, just like the Old Testament sacrifices were a temporary fix. So the Holy Spirit is telling us that these old covenant sacrifices were to point us and the Hebrew people to something much better, a sacrifice that would be effective, not just a shadow or a reminder of guilt. Because it says in the, if the Old Testament sacrifices had been effective, there would have been no need to repeat them over and over. In fact, the Message Bible says that if the sacrifices had been effective, the people would have gone blissfully on their way. But there was no bliss. So the truth that we want to remember from this section is that religious acts and a pretense of faith do not deal with sin. Religious acts and a pretense of faith do not deal with sin. So what shadow of reality are you holding on to? Something that was designed to point you to Christ but has become an end in itself. Maybe it's church attendance. Maybe it's your baptism. Memorizing literature, liturgy, or even Bible study. Have these brought you closer to Jesus as they were designed to do? Or have they become an outward behavior that hasn't resulted in an inward change? These are all good things, but none take away sin and offer forgiveness. The real sacrifice would be effective by being offered one time, not endlessly. And it would not be an animal, a bull or a goat, but a person. Let's read in Hebrews um, 10, verse 5. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings. You did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, John, I think Jen Wilkins said it was 1,500 years of bloody sacrifices came to an end. You see, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, we learn in Colossians. And in Hebrews 1, we learn that Jesus is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is not a shadow. He is the real thing. One pastor calls Jesus the shadow caster. The one reality who cast the shadow came and all things changed. So you can't have a relationship with a shadow, but you can have a relationship with the shadow caster, Jesus, who points to God. In verse 8, Jesus repeated David's prayer from the Old Testament Psalms. See, David knew that God did not desire sacrifice and offerings, but God desired a broken spirit a contrite heart, one that knew sin and had remorse and desired forgiveness. It was David's highest aim, although being a mere man, 
He could not do God's will perfectly. Only perfect, sinless Jesus fulfilled God's will. I read a quote this week that said, To be fully human is to know our sins, to know the sacrifice Jesus has taken our, of Jesus has taken our sins away from the presence of God, and then to do battle against ongoing temptation. That's actually in a book here in the library at Blacknell called Created to Draw Near, in case you're interested. Um, so Jesus came willingly, fully aware, to do his Father's will, to offer his body as a sacrifice for sin once and for all. Jesus was humble. He was willing to submit to his Father's will. Here I am. I have come to do your will. It was his purpose in being born a man. In verse 10, notice it said that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of his body. It's already done. We are holy. We are set apart. We are consecrated. We are different in God's sight. In verse 12, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest, when he had made his one-time sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. His work was complete, unlike the Old Testament priest, whose job was never done. Did you notice there was no chair in the tabernacle when Bev described it last week? Jesus is sitting, which represents that his job is finished. He's sitting at the right hand of God, a place of honor. God was satisfied with his sacrifice. He's sitting until all his enemies are under his feet, which guarantees that everyone who rebels and rejects Jesus, Satan and unbelievers, will be humbled one day. Verse 14 says, Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is an important verse. It says, He has made perfect. The event is in the past. We saw in verse 10, the biblical word for this is justification. Christ's death accomplished this. It is just as if we are not sinful, but clean in God's sight. This can never be changed. He no longer sees our sin. It is forgiven and remembered no more. Past, present, and future sin. But does God forget sin? I love the way that Jen Wilkins talked about this. She said that he is incapable of forgetting. Pause and think of this for a minute. He is incapable of forgetting. That would be inconsistent with his nature. He is omniscient and knows everything. He never forgets our name. He never forgets that we are his children. He never forgets that we belong to him. He never forgets that Christ's sacrifice was once for all. Forgetting is just a figure of speech that God no longer holds our sin against us. It's as if he has forgotten it. The wrongs that we vividly remember from years ago, the ones we have forgotten and not or not have never recognized, the words we've spoken, the wrongs we do today, the sin right now, even thinking that we're a pretty good person especially compared to others we know. God has forgiven those thoughts, and he has forgiven the sin that we will continue to struggle with because we are still in our fleshly human body. Whatever sin that is, there is no sin too large for God to forgive. 
His sacrifice is ample, more than adequate, satisfactory, acceptable. Think of the thief on the cross, the adulterous woman, the Samaritan woman who looked for love in all the wrong places. The second part of verse 16 says that we are being made holy. The biblical word for that is sanctified. It's a process. It's a journey of becoming more like Jesus Christ and his thoughts, his ways and perspectives, his desires, loving what he loves and hating what he hates. In that same book, Created to Draw Near, Edward Welch says, he describes it as progressive nearness, which I love that. It's that turning from sin and towards God. Because you know sin separates us in any relationship that we have. It's true in all relationships. So I love that song that we sang this morning, May the Mind of Christ my Savior Live in Me from Day to Day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. So it's a continual process through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are given when we believe Jesus is our Savior. This is different from a person's conscience. Everyone has a conscience. God gave everyone that. Some are aware of us more than others, though, but only believers have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling in them and are able to know right from wrong from God's perspective, not the culture's, and to understand God's heart. In verse 18, it says, And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. When a person receives Christ, they are forgiven completely. There is no need for any other sacrifice. Actually, the proof that we are forgiven and justified is that we are being sanctified. We are progressing in our nearness to God. So the truth we want to remember from this section is that Jesus Christ's sacrificial death provides complete forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ's sacrificial death provides complete forgiveness of sin. So is there something you do that you think will make you more acceptable to God? more pleasing, or more forgiven. Maybe teaching a Sunday school class, giving to charity, serving at a soup kitchen. All these things are wonderful, but none of these make you more forgiven, more acceptable to holy God. These are good things that come from a thankful heart already forgiven. So is there a past sin that keeps you from obeying God right now? Do you feel unworthy? to serve when asked. Hebrews is written so that we will be confident in Jesus' sacrifice and free to live life to the fullest. If God is not holding sin against you, you should not either. In fact, that's that's saying your sin is too different. Your sin is too big for Jesus to forgive. But it is not unique. It is common to man and the reason that Jesus came to die. So what? What difference does it make? What is a reasonable response to knowing this truth? Let's read in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled to, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is not, rah, 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 be confident, team, you can do this Christian life. This is rah, rah, rah in what Jesus has done. Be confident in Jesus, rest in that, and then go out and lead the Christian life as a love response to Jesus and thankfulness for his work. So there are several reasonable responses to Jesus' sacrifice. We can be confident to come close, to draw near to God, unlike the priest in the Old Testament days who entered in the temple with fear that they would forget a detail God required and do something the wrong way, and then they would die. Remember the story about Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10? They were Aaron's sons, but they were not the high priests, and they tried to go into the more holy place and died. We don't need to worry about these things. Access to God was settled when Jesus died on the cross. In Matthew 27, it says, when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom, which is something only God could do. That was a miracle. That curtain separated the most holy place, which was God's presence, from the holy place and was about three and a half inches thick. That was something only God could do. We can come close to God without fear, but in comfort, like a child comes through their mom and dad's room in the middle of the night. The door is open for their children to be comforted and loved. It is a safe place. So a new and living way is open to us by Jesus' body sacrifice. The second thing the Holy Spirit tells us to do is to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In other words, let's not just be people who talk like Christ followers, but people who are Christ followers. Let's not be spiritual hypocrites, but be people of spiritual integrity. He reminds us that this is possible because God is faithful to his promise to help us mature and become Christ-like through his Spirit. The author then tells us to think, to consider, to come up with a plan how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I thought, do I wake up in the morning and actually have that thought? Do I think of a plan and how I'm going to encourage someone today to love better? Well, I have been known to tell my husband how he can do that. <laughs> or my children, if they are fighting. Um, a family certainly offers us a captive audience to encourage that. But what about a friend or a neighbor or a Christ follower, a sister in Christ, a co-worker? How can you be intentional about encouraging them to love God and others and to show that love through good deeds? Or are you the person that says to your friend, oh, I don't know how you'll do that. You need to have boundaries. Someone else can do that. Or are you the person that offers encouraging words to your friend to depend on God's power and strength to love the unlovely and do the good she's feeling called to do? I had to think hard about that one this week. Lastly, the Holy Spirit tells us not to give up meeting together. Obviously, this was a problem then and is now, especially during the pandemic, and I'm so thankful we're here without masks today. There are always reasons, some legitimate some needless, why people, even Christians, stop gathering together. 
But here the author wants us to know that being together in person, in community, is crucial. And he's telling them and us to continue meeting even when in danger. We need to be creative, but let's don't stop altogether. Sure, we can listen to a sermon online, but that's not all there is to gathering together. Seeing someone persevering in a difficult time strengthens others and speaks of God's faithfulness. Sharing stories of God's presence in situations, reminding each other that God can be trusted, that he is in control, that he cares, that he is good and kind. All this happens when we are together. Forsaking fellowship is a sure way to give way to give way to discouragement though and we all felt this over the last two years christian community is more than just listening to a sermon together our motivation for fellowship must be to obey god and to give to others not just to go when i need it all these things we grow in remember it's a journey a process and each part of the body impacts another part The last part of chapter 10, the author reminds us of several things. Again, that Jesus' sacrifice is the only sacrifice for sin. In fact, in verse 26 and 27, it says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If a person keeps on sinning by rejecting Jesus' sacrifice, there is no sacrifice for sin left, only judgment. There is no other way to be forgiven. I I listened to Coach K's post-game interview after the big game this past weekend. And one of the things I remember, and it reminded me of this, was that he said, that he knew that going in, it was either going to be, at the end, tears of joy or tears of agony. And he wished he was on the side of tears of joy, but he was on the other side. Um, And I thought about this because there's only two outcomes in this judgment. There's either going to be tears of joy or tears of agony. There's no other way to be forgiven. In fact, it's described as If we reject Jesus' sacrifice, it's like trampling the Son of God underfoot, walking down sidewalks, and not even acknowledging there's a penny there, treating as worthless, unimportant, unimportant, meaningless, unholy. In verses 32 and 34, the Holy Spirit reminds us of our early days when we believed, how confident, enthusiastic we were about Jesus. Perhaps you were so aware of your sin and so thankful for Jesus. It was all about what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You had compassion for others, and now that's turned into apathy. Our faith in Jesus sometimes becomes too sanitized, too clean. Gene Wilkins said, maybe we've lost our amazement of a bloodless gathering of saints. Our gathering is too too clean. I once heard that it was reasonable to expect a person to get tired in ministry because we have human bodies and we have finite energy. But we should take it as a warning if we find that we are getting tired of ministry. These folks, these Hebrew folks, they were not tired of ministry. 
in the beginning, but the author is reminding them to persevere. After all, they had gone into the prisons and risked their life and their possessions. But the author is saying, persevere. God has rewards when Christ comes. So how do we make sure we don't get tired of ministry and shrink back? Make sure our faith doesn't shrink and become small. For the Hebrew people, they were drifting back to what was natural to them, back to safe religious practices. To us, it might be drifting back to our natural self so that we barely have family resemblance to Jesus. We all need to remember who we are, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and remember what we have been given. Forgiveness, promises. Be confident in God, believe, and you will be richly rewarded. Don't shrink back and become small in faith and love. So the truth here is that perseverance involves encouragement from one another and remembering God's promises. It's all rooted in God's faithfulness. So who in your life encourages you to grow and mature in your faith in God? Who speaks truth into you? And remember, it's mutual. We're to spur one another on. Who are you encouraging to trust in God and in his mighty power? Perhaps you aren't encouraged because you don't take time to get past the surface talk. I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. But what if we paused and we asked a further question or explained something good or hard that you are going through? What if we were known for being more than a friendly church, but one where we're actually friends? You know, Jesus has taken care of all of our dirty laundry once and for all. We are free to come close to God. We can sit down. We can spend time with him. We can enjoy our quiet time with him. Remember, he has done the work, and we are now free and equipped to serve and encourage one another as a reasonable response to his amazing gift. We're free to have coffee with a friend and encourage her. We're free to serve in the nursery or in Sunday school to encourage a young family, not to earn our forgiveness, but as a thank you to Jesus, a way to love others, a way to offer encouragement to them and their relationship with Jesus. Next week, we're going to study, going to learn about some faithful people who will encourage us in our faith. So keep studying, keep working. You're doing great. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for, um, for Jesus. We thank you for the freedom that we have um, because of his sacrifice we have and the freedom to come close. I pray as we go into our small groups that we would indeed come even closer um, as a result of encouraging one another and speaking truth into each other's lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.